the Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast that helps you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, Sammy's doing a very deep dive into what it looks like to heal yourself with a very special guest, Hilda Weeman, who is a gangster. She goes and helps people like crazy, people with some extreme cases. She's not afraid of healing everybody. That doesn't mean that she only deals with extreme cases. She heals everybody. So this is all about healing. It's about a generation of healing, how to take on healing yourself, healing your family. It's especially helpful for parents, but everybody should listen to this so that you could have a long view perspective on how to keep yourself healthy and when you are a parent, how to communicate with your kids so they don't accumulate trauma. But if you are a parent, by golly gosh, listen to this 10,000 times and enjoy. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Love Life Legacy. Wow, yeah. I'm here with an incredible guest, Mrs. Hilda Weeman. Why she's an incredible guest? She is an accomplished coach, mentor to people and healing relationships and families. So I'm so honored to have you with us. So before I speak more about your work experience, let's just say hi to everybody. You want to hear my voice? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So hi, everybody. I'm so happy that I can be here and talk about my life, my work, mm. and publicize this more. So thank you. Yes, thank you for being with us. So everybody, Hilda, she incredible. She graduated of Coach U University. She's certified by the International Coaching Federation. She's trained in family and relationship coaching. She's a certified real love coach from Greg Bear and his work. She's worked alongside for nigh of a decade with trained professional psychotherapists. She runs her incredibly unique family healing session protocol to help families improve their relationships and heal their heal any challenges that they have in their families. She's traveled the world to do these family healing sessions, to give seminars and education. And right now, her focus at this point in her life is training the next generation and passing on all of her experience and her skills and her knowledge to anyone who wants to learn how to lead these sessions and how to be a family coach in this world. So just a body of experience and wisdom. So I hope that excites all of you as much as it does me to have her with us. Married for 40 years, originally from Austria. And maybe people notice the hint of an accent. Your yes. husband, where's your husband from? He's American, yeah. German ancestry. Yes, mm-hmm. German, yeah. Scottish, Irish, all kinds, right. Like a lot of Americans, big mix yes. of things. <laughs> and then, yes. you know, three grown children, two grandchildren. Anything else yeah. you'd like to add about your family, your work? Yeah, I think you asked me to maybe introduce myself a little bit, why I'm doing this work, what my motivation is, how I got to this and so on. So you already said I'm from Europe, from Austria. It was interesting at my 60th birthday, my son got up, my youngest, and said, why, isn't it amazing? My mom, she's this Austrian village girl. <laughs> and he knew, you know, by the time I literally, like you said, I was flying around to the different continents and doing my work, giving sometimes on TV or at least live radio and helping. More than that, I did help individual families. So mm-hmm. for this, people have reached out to me from around the world. And I try to combine when I fly and help somebody to also teach somewhere and this brought me mostly to Mexico, America, Europe, and a little bit to Asia. That's just about the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. But back to the village girl, 
I think I should say a little bit about this because that has, of course, made me who I am. And, you know, we will talk later about childhood imprint. I don't know if it's a village, 5,000 people, but it felt like because everybody was close. I remember on that street where I was living, people walked by to go to downtown. Just when you saw somebody walking, sometimes you just run out the house and say, hey, hey, hello. And, you know, we greeted each other. That was a, a real thing almost every day. Even when I was bored with my homework or study, I look out the front window and I see somebody and, oh, go, oh, good. She's going downtown. So I check in. And it's this refreshing feeling of belonging, of knowing each other, of bonding. And that was quite an experience. My brothers were Boy Scouts. There were no Girl Scouts in my town. But I was definitely jealous and I <laughs> cried about this to my mother. So when I was 12 years old, she said, oh, why don't we make flyers? Let's just write something on paper and copy it. And then I help you giving it out after church. Because there was just one single church in the middle of town. <laughs> Catholic church. That's how I grew up. The whole country basically was Catholic at that time. A very small percentage differently. And, you know, she found somebody in a neighborhood village and who helped us create this. And we founded the Girl Scouts in my town. And my parents were senior citizens for 25 years. They were running everything from preparation, the program, the food and all the stuff. So I really grew up in a community, uh, belonging. It was never boring. <laughs> and this feeling of honestly of knowing what's going on everywhere and helping each other. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a little bit gossip and jealousy also. But overall, that knowing I belong was quite an incredible imprint. So then I actually left home at 14 to go to a school in Vienna, fashion school. And then I came to America when I was 27. I met my husband in England then came to America and I thought it would be not that different. You know, pretty, he comes from middle class. I come from middle class. So I thought, piece of cake. My parents, I never saw them fighting. So I thought marriage is like that. Also in my neighborhood, I experienced not very much conflict or divorce or anything like that. And I really thought marriage wouldn't be that hard. But then seven years into it, I had to make a decision to either run or to learn. And that's when I started reading books, interesting myself, going to seminars. I happened to come across a family counselor. At the time, I heard him speak. I really liked what he was saying. He was so very honest and open about everything. And I thought, oh, this is what I want to learn. So I connected to him. My husband connected to him. We went to seminars. And that was the beginning for me that where I felt like God shifted me from the external beauty, the modeling and the, and the fashion industry to the internal beauty. And I became, of course, more and more aware of what was really going on and what I brought into the marriage, the childhood wounding that we all bring into the marriage. So that's a little bit a summary of how I landed in this. I think that's very good and valuable to hear that context and then the heart that you bring into your work and how you ended up here where you are. Yeah, well, first it really started when we were married and had young kids that friends came over and I found we had the same problems. You know, as women, we were talking and so, well, I don't know, couldn't we do better? Something is missing. And I began, well, because I already had read books and I went to seminars, then a certain natural wisdom came out of me and more and more people ended up in my living room. And we started talking and I basically did 
at least listening, but in many cases also coaching for free. I didn't even know what I was doing. Slowly, I got into it more. And then eventually, I worked with this family therapist, not as a client, but then as a mentor to his clients. And I learned a lot. I went to seminars. I learned, you know, facilitating or co-facilitating the seminars. And that's how I got deeper and deeper into it until I eventually took the Coach University training online. That's how it all started out. By the time I was a parent and with my friend together, we wrote a parent handbook. We just had this idea. We thought, hey, if we sum up things and make it much easier to understand so people don't have to read all kinds of books, why don't we take the wisdom, the strongest parts, the most important parts of these books, why don't we take those and put them together as a handbook with exercises? And our friends, our co-workers, people in the neighborhood and so on, we could study this with them. And that's what we did. I did back then already teleclasses. So people did call in from all over the world. They found my friend who, is a, who was out there on the website and the family therapist. And because we specialized on helping parents to reattach to detached and wounded and children in pain. That I think attracted people that we got clients from all around the world. Right. So not only are you incredibly trained, but also experienced, and you just had this very natural development of career that you've built for yourself. And it seems sounds like just a very inquiring mind of wanting to find out for yourself, like, you know, what's missing and then work on your own relationship, but then taking everything you learned and turning around to start supporting other people and very naturally just in your living room, like you said, with your friends and people I'm in your neighborhood, I suppose, and people you knew that developed more and more and more until you became this world known individual that could solve and you had the secret to resolving everyone's family problems in their life. I guess, but you developed a very clear protocol, a very clear or, protocol. Or, yes. right, or, or just framework for understanding why do you know, yeah, it really is happen very, in family, right? Right, a very clear protocol eventually we developed. I do want to say a little bit more to this. My natural wisdom came out. I had no idea, no clue what was inside of me. I saw this in my neighborhood. I grew up, so all the kids were out there on the street and playing and the parents when somebody misbehaved. And certainly another parent felt like it is their responsibility to help us to correct that. So it was almost like growing up in a tribe. I would say. And my mother. So I am, I had two older brothers. I was the youngest and a girl. And I believe because my mother had a very strict mother herself and she suffered under that. She promised herself, if I have a daughter, I raise her differently. And my wealth in life, I would say, comes from my mother. I have to really, I always, when I think of her, I thank her. I'm so grateful that she took time. She was very personal. She did things with me. And also she had these interesting, <laughs> intense conversations with me because that is an art when a child becomes a teenager to not step back and to be afraid of the development, to be afraid of, oh my gosh, what they're getting into, you know, falling in love or wanting this and that and so on. And my mother knew how to draw me in. And I don't want to say to nail me because that sounds a little bit negative, but she knew how to keep me in a certain territory and protect me, but also give me a long enough leash and trust. So there were these, as I grew older as a teenager, there were deep conversations about love and sex and friendships 
and behaviors in life, I just was grateful that she gave me this foundation, this bonding. I knew that I belonged to her and I knew that no matter what happens or what decision I make or if I make mistakes, my mother would somehow stand up for me or be there and help me out of the mess, <laughs> so to speak. And I did experience this several times. So I just wanted to say that parenting, I believe that eventually when we parent better, and I think you are experienced or you have experienced Dr. Greg Bear and Real Love, which I highly recommend to everybody. That's the first thing I recommend to my clients when they call me or email me the first time. I truly believe if we learn better parenting, that means we get to know each other ourselves better then we can create a better world, world peace. Wow. That's amazed to hear the, for whatever reason, the, I don't know naturally, but wonderful mother that your yes. uh, parent that your mom was. And was right, right. I mean, yeah, I imagine it's no small decision to let a 14-year-old girl go all the way to Vienna, go to fashion school. And, right. Um, and yeah. so we talk about her and kind of commute the yeah. conversations you're able to have. Yeah, I'm sure yeah also my father, I mean, he, right. he stood there in the kitchen and said, you know, when I said goodbye, he said, I trust you because I raised you. And I'll never forget that those words and that moment. I'm sure so many people listening, they just long to have that kind of relationship with their own parents and are also longing to be that kind of parent to their own children. Yeah, so I said this because that's where my motivation comes from and my longing. I have such incredible passion for parenting and teaching parenting and family, helping families. So this leads towards the work that my colleague and I developed. It comes originally... So we call it Family Healing Session. It originated with Dr. Martha Welch. She already, she passed a few years ago and her effort was to work with autistic children. She had a real breakthrough. She had amazing insight and success to open up the world and help autistic children with more to, you know, to come more into the space of the family. And then she thought, wow, if that's working, then why don't we do it with our, I don't know if I should say our normal children, our healthy children or whatever, you know, with everybody, with everybody. So she developed this program that whole families would come to her place and she would work with the whole family, everybody there to bring up old stories, to mm -hmm. bring up old unresolved things, pain, and just make it open, make the system open and honest. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago that my colleague went there and learned from her. And then he related this to me and we started working like this. But soon, very soon into it, I have to say, I changed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I just developed it further. And where mm -hmm. we are today is just so amazing compared to this. So I just wanted to <laughs> express my gratitude to Dr. Mm -hmm. Marcia Welch. But then today we are on 20 years of more experience mm -hmm. since then. So family healing session is something that is mostly requested when the children are teenagers or young adults. So we're going to dive into family healing sessions, a deep yes. dive for everybody. And before that, yeah. there's something you said that stood out to me and, and also kind of more at the root of or the need for family healing sessions. Is, so you mentioned, we talked about your, the way your parents raised you and everyone has this longing to have a relationship like that with their own parents and to raise their own children like that. But we know the reality is for most people, something happens, something goes right. awry. And you talked about earlier, uh, you talked about childhood wounds, right? Mm -hmm. and I know mm -hmm. that's such the core of your work is these 
childhood wounds that people develop. And I think that's a very important thing to touch on because when people think of any kind of traumatic things in their childhood, they think of very dramatic things. But that's mm. not, you know, from what I've learned on this topic, it's mm. not always the case, actually. And then, of course, which you yeah. have extensive knowledge on experience with. And there's this term that I heard that really intrigued me. It's post-childhood stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. But, but anyway, right. it's this topic I've started to dive into and it's connected to this work that you do with childhood wounds. Could you begin with talking about that? And you know, what mm -hmm. is this? And, and what are these wounds that we're talking about? Right. So, that's, yeah, that's, of course, a professional term. And I try to simplify everything for my clients and such as simply say that the childhood wounds, as you mentioned, I'm grateful that you bring this up. It's truly that, as you said, we think, you know, just big events create a trauma. That's for a long time we thought, okay, was there sexual abuse? Was there an accident, early death of a parent, divorce? You know, these things we thought, oh yeah, from that trauma is coming from that. Mm -hmm. And you probably follow that with all the development about the knowledge in the brain and what really is considered as trauma. I mean, the smallest things mm -hmm. can be considered as trauma. They traumatize the child because we are born and we are growing up the first year years of our lives, I mean, according to psychology, in the first seven years, we're like a sponge. We take everything in that we are seeing and hearing, especially what's concerning us. And then again, I want to mention Dr. Bea in his book says, even if we have nine good experiences or people give us compliments or anything, anything positive, if the tenth one is negative, we drop immediately the memory of the, all these other events and we are just getting stuck there. We are thinking about, really? Really? Am I ugly? Am I dumb? What this person just said? I can't play with them. They got me off the playground or this out of the sandbox and things like this. So small things, even just looks or words. I've had clients that 30, 40 years later rotate around this one moment in their life when a sibling or a parent, a friend, a coach, maybe a teacher looked or said just about a word or a small sentence and grabbed on this to this belief and lived with this kind of belief system created the rest of their lives with this. So therefore, when I said there's such a need that we become a good parent, that we have self-awareness, that we know ourselves, that we know what a child needs and wants, that we can separate that and just become better and better in the skill of loving, of being authentic, of support, of forgiveness, those things, that's what we need to learn in order to raise a child with less traumas. Saying this, I want to mention that, for example, by that time, when my children were fairly small, I already entered that profession and I'd gone to different seminars. And so I thought, well, when my kids come home from school, they open the door, I better scan them from top to bottom, emotionally scan them. And that's really what I did because I knew about detachment. I knew that when we go away, the child goes to school, gets influenced by so many different things. It is really important that we bring the child back home again. More so in our society now, where we have the TV, we have computer games, we have the iPhone. So much equipment and also more freedom, I think, going to aftercare 
at school or so much more away from home because maybe both parents are working before COVID. So the child is more influenced by the rest of the world. And it is so important to bring them home, to draw them to the center and to the parents' values and lifestyle, because that is what would make them feel, aha, this is who I am. This is where I learn certain things, where I belong. Bring them back home at least to take out the confusion and also the traumas. Because the little things that they experience every single day, they are just so important. And we want to help them to process their day, to digest it. I was just talking earlier to somebody who was interested in this. And I said, yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all do EFT, emotional freedom technique, the tapping, you know, on if we learn this early and we do this on our children. When a child comes home or now, okay, they are at home when the day's done to just play with that and tap them or help them to tap and really to go basically clean out the nervous system, mm-hmm. help them digest and come back home to their core. This would help that we have less childhood trauma imprints. So yeah, these wounds that everyone experiences are not, they're just any event or experience of something, something goes wrong, or I don't belong, or I'm not accepted, or I'm not loved. You mentioned just being kicked out of the playground or mm-hmm. kids not wanting mm-hmm. to play with you. And the ideal of the world itself, it's a huge place and we can't expect everyone to be perfect and to be loving right. and wonderful to my child. And so it's so important for the family to be a safe place to come back to and to be cleansed of bruisings and those experiences out yeah. in school. But often actually the families also the place where people experience most of those wounds, I imagine, where it's just like the little Correct. snipes of like, you know, how could you walk in the house with your muddy shoes? Or yeah, I can imagine just how sensitive a child is. So many thoughtless things a parent could say mm-hmm. meaning well, but would actually add to that feeling. Right. There's definitely, you know, many parents were raised because we parent basically out of our memory box. So therefore, if we heard this, what you were just saying, oh, again, you know, your muddy shoes and have the tone and the behavior that sense it. So I want to talk a little bit about the difference, the introverted and the extroverted child, the, the sensitive child and the more open and courageous child. We as parent, we need to study the child. We need to study so that we know who is my child, because each one is different. Each one carries what I experience a different inheritance and has different things to accomplish in this world. So therefore, it really is important that we as a parent, we know ourselves, we have done our work or we continue to do our work, meaning to know ourselves, know our triggers, or create patience, fill our love tank, things like this is considered as our personal work. And then in that place where we have that fullness, the peace, and I always call it a strong spine. When we come from that place, then we have the openness, that peace to look at our child and actually see who they are, what is needed, what's going on. Hopefully a full enough love tank that we have the patience when something is not so good that we say, oh, what's up? What's going on? Tell me the story. You know, I want to listen. Having that patience would show the child that there's time and space, that he or she is allowed to experience whatever and to talk about feelings and experiences. I like that strong spine. It, a lot of parents come from the misconception of just this saintly, sacrificial role of a parent. Is this you have to totally give up everything of yourself and focus on the children. And often parents, they, they're actually barely staying above water themselves, right? And 
So the thing children need the most is just a, a safe place to feel just unconditionally loved and embraced. And there's nothing expected of them or they just have to do a good job all the time. And it's never allowed for them to make any mistakes. And it's impossible to do when you're, you know, you've got all this, you don't have a strong spine, as you said, right? And right. So the right. one thing is just the children comes home with a bad report card and you're like, I'm giving up, you know, I'm barely staying, you know, keeping afloat and you can't even bother to get good grades. You know, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think for that, when people start studying Dr. Bear's Real Love mm -hmm. programs, they become aware of those things. That is then when we yell at the kids, it's about us, that we mm -hmm. are ashamed. The neighbors know my kid didn't have a good grade mm -hmm. or embarrassed that we are not a good enough parent and so on. Then it's all about the parent. It's about us. Mm -hmm. What it should become is about the child to see mm -hmm. that the child coming home with bad grades and maybe being even teased by other kids they suffer so badly. They are the worst off. They suffer the most. So as parents, we need this attitude of, mm, you know, what happened? What did I miss? And devoting myself then as a parent to the child, get the story. What happened? Where did I not help you enough that you would understand this? You know, where, what did I miss? Who are you? What kind of needs do you have so that you can learn is your environment or the love you get, the attachment, you know, what's missing and try to provide this for the child so that they can feel safe. Then that we make life and parenting about the child and not about us. But in most cases, as you say, our parents feel guilty and then embarrassed. And as soon as those feelings come in and we are not aware of it and working on ourselves, then we just let the words roll out and the impatience and the judgment the anger. It's so easy. We just let it roll. As I said earlier, because we are parenting out of our memory box. So if our parents did that, we think this is what parenting is. And we have to do this so our kids turn out okay. Until we study that this is exactly what we need to shift and change. If I may add this here, you know, as preparation, when parents begin to work with me, I... Definitely, I teach them all these things of what is real love. How does this function develop? How can I have ownership in my comments? How do I do safe conversation? Learning about my own wounding and just simply or parenting styles, how we develop the developmental stages in life, what family culture they experience so they know what did I come with into the marriage and what did my spouse come with? into the marriage and then see, uh-huh, we already, we basically carry a suitcase. We carry a backpack when we come into this relationship because we bring, we are unaware of what we bring. We fall in love and then think, oh, this is wonderful. You know, I just want to go ahead with this. I want to be with this person forever. And when the in love time is over, I want to mention here, Dr. Havel Hendricks, he wrote a book 30 years ago with his wife, Helen, Getting the Love You Want. And they just brought out, I think last year, the new version of it, because they had to change one chapter in it, which was communication. Communication was the old version. Now they put in safe conversations. Very wonderful, amazing program, the best in communication, I think, that's existing around the world. But back to what they wrote back then in this book was that what we attract or how we come unfinished and that marriage is really a highway to perfection, mm -hmm. <laughs> even it's hard. Mm. And that in marriage, all the things come out after the in love time. That's mm. what I was talking about. You know, we fall in love, there's an in love time. And when that is over, then 
we have the courage to show up with the real me, who I am, and also the negative things that are inside of me and that are brought with me. Because then the testing comes, do you love me enough? Can you stand me like this too? So that comes after the in love time. I just wanted to throw that in here. I have another question about childhood wounds. I think some people might be wondering. Some people <laughs> might just stay hearing everything you're saying and it makes perfect sense. But some people, they may say, okay, yeah, children are sensitive. They get hurt. Their feelings get hurt. These things happen. That was mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I was a little kid. What's the big deal? How can that be affecting you now? This is such a good question. Thank you, Sammy, for bringing this up because there are so many, many, many people exactly with this idea and this, this attitude. And I have to say it's somehow more in the male audience and clients that I have is women. We are somehow closer to our emotions, I think. And we want to discover our weaknesses, but we raise men. You can't cry. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. And, and this is who you have to be. And from that comes a certain denial or just to say, okay, this is beyond me. You know, I'm past that. That's it. And I'm living life. I mean, look at me. I have studied. I have a degree. I do this and that, or I make mm -hmm. this much money. Interesting enough, most of my clients are wealthy because that's when if either they have studied for a long time and already had family and no time for their young children, or if they created businesses and didn't have time for the kids. That's the most difficult thing for children when the parents aren't around. So those people then come and say this and that is going on in the family. And it is so very, very difficult for them to understand that, really, I have an inner child. I have a wound from childhood. And look at me, what I created, you know, my success and so on. And as I always say, our children are mirror. Just look, okay, why does your child take drugs? Why is your child doing this? Why is, you know, sexually active at age 14 or and, and, and. So these addictions and disorders that we find in the children come from our own unresolved issues and we don't even know about it. Mm. We're either clearly in denial or we are just so uninformed, I would mm. say, uninformed. We are getting more and more informed. It is now, I mean, just even in the last few years, it's incredible, the research on brain and trauma and affirming that we all have wounds. I like to just use often a different... So there's a need, I think what you're asking is, there's this, this amazing need that we get in touch with the parts of us that we have numbed. Now that I'm saying this, so when we numb a part in us, it announces itself because we are made to heal. We are created to become ourselves, our fullness, to blossom to our fullness. And if in our childhood, for whatever reasons, we had to numb certain parts in us because bad things happened, then eventually they come out in life. And then it's up to us if we manage them in the correct way, identifying and healing process, or if we just medicate them. Instead of managing, we medicate them. And this is where it comes then to the very things that we have these days, or most of all pornography, or acting out sexually, that there is just little control or so much desire, or masturbation. And I know you, that your organization mostly is interested in that, in the sexual disorders, I think you say. But I want to also say here that, well, it's not really different to the alcoholic, to the drug addicted, and so on. It's always there's an unmet need underneath. There's two things that drive us to bad behavior. One is 
either we remember an event, a real event, okay, where I was hurt. That pain from it, I close up, close down something, and it's right in there. We swallowed that pain, and it's somewhere stuck inside. So it's an event. Or that nobody discovered me, my needs, unmet needs. So it's either a real hurt from an event, or it's an unmet need. Only those two things. And they make up for everything that is hurting us, basically. And everything that's hurting us and that we swallowed and is sitting inside, the pain is sitting inside, at some point in life, it wants to come out. We can't live with it anymore. And we are at this fork where we make the decision. Am I going to be brave enough? Because it takes that to be brave, courageous. Am I courageous enough and address it with a professional and get help or with friends? Or am I just going to medicate myself? The two points you said about specific events that hurt us or unmet need. And it made me think of a very specific incident. I remember when I was third grade or some fourth grade, maybe, and recess time and we're playing soccer, the two sides. I was the goalie. And then some other friend, he comes up to me and he asks for some help. He's wearing like a cape and, and he needs me to tie something. I'm stopped being a goalie just to help him for a moment. I'm standing in the goal. That's the other side, the ball comes along the other side and then the other team scores right on me. And, you know, I wasn't right, paying right. attention. And then right. one of my teammates comes up to me and he's so like, so angry. He's like, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to be the goalie, right? Like, come on, like that. I felt so hurt, right? Because... I thought I was just trying to be a good friend and help, you know, my friend, right. we're, just, we're just playing a game. What's the big deal? Right. And then I got hurt and then I got angry and there's this like feeling of, I'll show you kind of thing. And so then I switched roles with someone and then I was like taking the ball and try to run down and play really hard and show that friend that, you know, I'm a better soccer player than him or something. And, and that's something that has driven me for so long is just like when someone gets down or criti yeah. critical, someone gets like critical, critical of me, then there's this yeah. thing that comes, it's like, I'll show you, you know, and then I like work extra hard and, you know, prove them wrong kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad you're saying this because we may, I mentioned to you earlier the name Terry Real and what he is teaching is, you know, we get wounded the first seven years or whatever, we, we are sponge, we take all, we, we have these wounds. But then comes a time when we also take on behavior because we develop survival methods and they are negative sometimes. We are wounding ourselves, so to speak, sometimes while we do the survival, either get mm. very aggressive or angry or exactly the example that you were just saying, aha, uh -huh, this is not my method. I'm going to mm. show you. And suddenly we take this on, which is also not positive. It's not such a positive behavior because now we become maybe not the bully, but it's not something that's good for us because we carry the anger. We are not mm -hmm. clearing it in a different way. Mm -hmm. We are just trying to prove ourselves mm -hmm. right. and it's still unhealthy. So I just wanted to mention mm -hmm. that the rest of our lives is working on these mm -hmm. times of the wounding and rewounding, And as we become mature and an adult, the rest of our lives, we work on all these different stories we had, we experienced before. Thank you. You're such a eloquent answer to my question or that cynicism people can have is that, right. yeah, these wounds, they are very relevant and they're the things that drive our lives. And, and what you said about we're naturally built to heal and to, that's so well put, just like a sickness, right? The symptoms that come up, it's an indicator mm -hmm. that, you know, we're sick. All right. And, and it's, you know, our body's mechanism for getting rid of the bad bacteria, things like that. And then likewise, these whatever harmful, you know, things people get into, it, it's a symptom of trying to fill a need. And so 
it's a clear argument that if there's just from observation, if there's anything going in your life that you're dissatisfied with or you're acting mm-hmm. in a certain way, that it's a clear indicator that there's some unmet need. And it's also, I think, extraordinarily brilliant that not only just observationally and through experience, you can point to these things, but even in science is also starting to agree with this, this even with brain scans. Is that, that's what you right. said, that we can, yes, we can even observe the yes. wounding um, physically on our brains. That's incredible. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. Science is just, I just listened to a talk about by Thomas Hubel. Mm-hmm. He's actually also Austrian, lived a long time in Germany, did years and years of meditation and people gathered around him and his product from all this life experience became, he realized that when people meditated together, 80 or hundred people around him and suddenly had outbreaks of emotions, that we are in a time of collective clearing, mm-hmm. that trauma release. And in his, the last talk, that I heard from him was that it's scientifically showing up, not proven, that we inherited in the cell. So his example was, for example, the generation who experienced World War II, they, the trauma is so immense in one's life that that generation can't clear things. No matter how much therapy they do, they can only talk about it, but can't clear the traumas in their life. And so they tested and searched in there, however that is done, but in the cells that we have the memory in the Mm -hmm. cells of the next generation and the next generation. So Mm -hmm. that would mean, for example, for me, I'm born in 54. Of course, my mother had, my parents had, but so both parents had, but I just had an experience in one of my sessions the other day when I did emotional freedom tapping and I experienced the fear that is sitting in my cells from my mother. And it was literally, I mean, I didn't know this before I ever experienced, but suddenly it was like, I have a fear. There's nowhere, no idea where it's coming from. It's just so deep inside. And then immediately I had a memory running to the, to the bomb shelter. Well, I wasn't alive then, but running to the bomb shelter just where everybody runs in the same direction and who is making it or who's making it first, you know, as I'm, of course, reading and listening to talks or going to seminars, I just realize how much we discover now about trauma, about imprints, not only in the brain, in every cell of our being, and that our generation or the people who are living at this time has more or less responsibility, he said, of releasing collective trauma. He connected it also to COVID, but whatever. Yeah, I like to take note of that for people to look into themselves. That's incredible. The the physical evidence you can see of it. Right. Seems like Austrians, maybe Germans as well, they always seem to be at the forefront of psychological breakthroughs and neurological neuroscience. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Freud and young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, these childhood wounds they not just affect us but drive our entire adult lives. You did mention, this is the Love Life and Legacy podcast. We're very interested in yeah. positive sex. So I'm wondering right. in what ways can these childhood wounds and their natural, they need to be healed and then they're trying mm-hmm. to get healed. So mm-hmm. if, if they don't get healed, how can they end up being sexualized later as adults? We sexualize love needs. All of there is underneath. It's a need to closeness, to touch, mm-hmm. to belong. And it's an emotional issue. And sadly, we're in society, I think we don't have a deep enough understanding and we think everything is sex and sexual. Of course, hormones are driving, you know, from the years, teenage years and beyond. But look, in as we have this experience in anything sexual, we are just focused and we are forgetting everything else. 
And finally, like coming home or we belong to the other. So it depends. You know, if we have sex with ourselves, that's one thing. We can forget everything else. The brain is totally turned off. Only one station is going. Mm -hmm. And the same is, of course, with orgasm. And, you know, if we have sex alone, we have sex with somebody else. That is when we can forget pain, traumas, when you forget any kind of problems we have in life, whatever. So therefore, the more stress we got throughout shifting our lifestyles, I think, and the demand that is on everybody, the more we have this issue, the separation through sex, of course, I can connect with somebody else and belong. And the, the stress or the emptiness, I can turn off everything and just participate in this one event. But then, as we know, right after this is either guilt or it's over. We are going back into the normal world. So therefore, we want to, then more guilt comes up. So we do it again and it just grows. So therefore, we are then saying obsessed by it or addicted to it. And we don't know how to get out of it. And getting out of it is through finding help. All that you guys are doing, you know, giving so much teaching, education, and so much support that you create these wonderful groups where people can talk about it. And I think it comes down to time, touch, and talk, that we spend time with other people, that we talk about what is coming up, what's coming out of me, what is before when therapy also, we say, reach out instead of reaching in, or reach out before you reach in, meaning grab the telephone or get help, somehow call your friend, get support, before you masturbate. I mean, we can relate this also to workaholics or to eataholics or to <laughs> eating disorders and so on before you open the refrigerator. When did we become aware of what is it I'm doing to medicate my pain? And then just before I do it, can I discipline myself that I would reach out, whatever my system is, a group, a friend, you know, whatever it is that I do that and talk about it what just happened in my life that I got here, that I want to masturbate or watch pornography or have sex? What just made me upset? And this is how in my or our work really being very successful in this helping people to do this outreach and become clear where it's coming from, because then we identify our trigger. What is our trigger? And that's when we identify what is it that is driving me crazy, like you just said earlier, if somebody is criticizing you and putting you down, either driving me crazy or what is making me so an outcast or so alone, so detached. What is it? How do I feel? And what is it I really need? And I think every single case, people would eventually end up, I need connection. I need time, touch and talk. Yeah, what, Any what, of the what role does touch play in, in that healing process? Oh, thank you. The touch is healthy touch. The touch is because we think, you know, I need touch and then it stimulates and we get sexual. But you wouldn't believe how many clients I've interviewed and asked and they would say, I just want to lay next to the person. I just want to be cuddled. Or I had mm -hmm. once, I remember that vividly, she said, I'm for four years in a relationship and I wish there wouldn't be sex. I don't want, we mostly cuddle and talk till two and four o'clock in the morning. It is going back to the childhood relationship or to the peer level, the friend we never had, the intensity or like I described my relationship with my mother or the, the parent or the coach, educator we never had where we could be honest and intimate, which does not have to do with sex. It is about the need of closeness 
being understood, being seen, being heard, and being understood. And there's a real love. Student equals love, being loved, feeling loved. And when we feel that, when our love tank is full from this, this knowing, I am, I'm loved, I belong, there's no need for this then. Then I, okay, I don't want to say there's no need for sex. Then I reach out, then I have sex in a healthy way, but not in an unhealthy way. So the touch, healthy or unhealthy. So it, it touches, is just an innate, natural need right. of humans. Right, of right. Yeah, I mean, when you think we're so natural with little babies, we touch them, we kiss them, we stroke them. And then the older a child gets, we hesitate. Mm -hmm. Or even a child, you know, we drop them off in kindergarten, first grade, whenever. And then they start saying, "Ah," you know, mom, don't hug me here. Don't give me a kiss. And somehow so many mothers or fathers too, anybody, adults, then listen to this and say, oh, of course, my child is embarrassed. I don't want to. Or, okay, I listen to that and I won't do it anymore. And there we have to learn courage, I think, that we also, that we talk to the child about it, that we see where this is coming from and work it out. To this day, my kids are 30 and up to 37, and it would be normal. I sit on the couch and they come and we hug, or they even, maybe I have the bedroom door open and I just lay down and read a book and they come to visit and would jump on the other side of next to me on the bed. And so very natural to say, how are you? Or what are you doing? And then I can sense it. I can feel even they're married. You know, they want to have this hug from mom and closeness and be a child again, because this is so nourishing, no matter how old we are. We do need this at times. So touch is totally misunderstood, I think, in our society and in our lives. At high noon, we need to figure that one out. We do everything on Zoom, basically, right? So we got yeah. to figure out how to, how to get that to people. Yeah, healthy touch is a big, big issue. Mm. And probably most healing. So there's also times, I remember working with individuals where it would be homework. It would be on their homework and program to get massages, but by a massage therapist that is safe and a massage therapist who is trained in emotional release. Because we have our pain, our traumas sitting inside of our body and our muscles. And it could be, so let's talk about the most extreme thing, sexual abuse, for example. It could be that then the adult is touched somewhere where he or she were touched incorrectly as a child, where it was abused, and then they would freak out or they would start crying or there's so much tension from working, maybe even that could be that people start either screaming or just making noises and things. So if that happens in massage, first of all, so massage is definitely healing and finding a massage therapist that is safe and knows how to deal with emotional release is enormously healing. It's a blessing to find somebody like this. I have one more question about sexualizing childhood wounds. Mm -hmm. Is there any indication between the needs that people are subconsciously trying to fill and the kind of porn or different kind of fetishes or sexual preferences that people are attracted to? Any relationship between those? Yes. Well, when we realize, I mean, we basically we know what is healthy i believe you know we have a natural knowing or read about it and see it and so on what is healthy and what not to ask ourselves you know what is underneath what happened to me for those things we do need a professional most of the time to help us through this because we could discover enormous traumas and it's not good to be alone in this we want to have professional help to get through this
there's, well, like you said, the word fetish. When any, anything that is obsessing is, and it's me, 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 is not healthy. Because as you know, sexual exchange or be sexual, as we are in this act of sex, as we call making love, we pay attention to the other person. We want to know what the other person needs, how the other person feels, what feels good, what is any kind of anything. How should we create a good experience? So that means I have to come out of myself and attend the other person. Or, I mean, if I'm getting the gift of, you know, we change, we go in waves in a sexual act, right? So if it so happens that the attention is on me, that I know my partner decided to absolutely put himself aside or herself as it is these days to put aside to attend me, then it's not a selfish, then it is receiving a gift. So we can see it also like that. But if I am obsessed with something that I need and I need to get this from the other that shows a wounding on, underneath, you know, that I absolutely, that I get stuck in that and that I can shift, that I can't be flexible. The reason why I ask is that, you know, we have the, these cases that we come across where right. someone is dealing with some specific obsession towards something and, or even people dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction, you know, this, right. this is part of what they're trying to resolve with, along with their porn right. use. And Yes, But it sounds like it'd be better for an individual to work with someone trained to dig at their own individual case rather than, yeah, I'm here. you don't want to make a blanket prescription like, or if you're Correct. attracted to feet, then that means that, you know. Like, Correct. Uh, yeah. And, yes. And uh, that is digging and digging and digging when our soul or inner child or whatever we call it is beginning to trust us because we have consistency in checking in, in journaling or taking sessions, in being present and busy with our inner child. Only then the child gives stories free, is free enough or trusting enough to reveal stories. So some people think, oh, I did a session about that. Well, it's not one session. It is, you know, you got to do work and show your inner child. Actually, it's an inner family because we don't have just one wounding. So we have a child stuck in age three and in age five and in age, you know, whatever. In many different places, we have a part of us stuck from that very trauma. After trauma, we don't grow, we close up and that's frozen until we release that. So when we show that we are busy with this, that we give attention, then slowly one part after the other, and the inner child knows what is safe and what not. That's how we will eventually discover the stories from deep inside of us. And the things where we are most obsessed about and what's the hardest, most difficult to overcome in our life, those are, of course, the deeper stories. Thank you for that explanation. And so we have these childhood wounds and hence family healing sessions. That's the focus is addressing these. And so could you go into how do family healing sessions work and why exactly are they so effective? Well, we were talking a lot about trauma so far and how this doesn't go away or it plays a role in our adult life. Then we marry or we have partners, we become parents. If we don't resolve it, then we basically pass it down. The unresolved issues get emotionally passed down to our children and it comes to a new dysfunction. A new that our family then has a dysfunction. Our children suddenly as teenagers, mostly as teenagers, we bring that out what has hurt us early and we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't speak any kind of a pain language, I call it. When addictions start, 
That's the pain language. What we, we are full of pain and we don't know how to say it and resolve it. So we bring it out in different ways, alcohol or drugs or sex and so on. Then parents call and say, oh, our family is actually great. You know, we have a lot of good things going on, but there's this one child and there's trouble or we don't know, we can't talk to him or her and this and that going on. So I listen for a while and then I say, mm-hmm, uh-huh, I see. And I lead the parents towards the understanding that it's not the child, it is the whole system. The whole family, there's things that can be corrected. Love needs to be put in order. But this one child, so instead of calling it the troubled child or the wounded child, the child with addiction, I help parents to understand this is your noble child. This is your savior because your system, dysfunctional system would continue. Your unresolved issues that you already, you and your spouse brought into the family, they would never be resolved and addressed. And it would just keep going and become more and more dysfunctional. But this child has, because it's either the most sensitive child or it is somehow is the chosen child also in the family that is actually expressing this through addiction and putting their life calling aside. There are other things, talents, maybe going to school. They don't go to school. They don't want to learn. They're bad grades or they do other things. So they're stirring up the system. And with that announcing, we can't get going like this. There's something wrong. This needs to be addressed, adjusted, corrected. So then the parents call and that's how I help them to understand this is actually a great moment in your life because you have now the power. Somebody's showing you that there's something not so good, that something needs to be corrected. And you are stimulated to do something about it because we all as parents love our children more than we love ourselves. So if we wouldn't go to therapy for ourselves, we do go to therapy as parents for our children because we love our children more than ourselves. So let me first say what a family healing session is. It leads to it that I train, that I give more education to the parents about psychology 101, I call it, that I help them to understand a lot of different topics and prepare them owning their unresolved issues and having good communication skills as a start or as a main tools for me to come to the family. So before the pandemic, I always, I flew out to the family and I visit them in their home for two days. Well, usually, you know, people have time on weekends, so Friday evening or Saturday and most part of the Sunday. A two-day, I call it a two-day family healing session where the family is together, the original family. So let's say, because in most cases I've worked when children are already uh, gone to college or beyond. And of course, some of them maybe are still at high school or early teen years. That's most of the spectrum, but I have worked with families as old as little over 70, the parents and the children accordingly to that in their 40s and so on. So the family comes together that grew up together. Everybody's in one room and I create a safe place and have a protocol through which we hear the story of the parents. This is how I grew up and that's why I was this person when I got married and became a parent. Mm -hmm. Each parent tells the story. They prepare for it. I help them. I draw a genogram. They answer over 30 questions of his family history, two generations back. 
So that's the preparation for it. And then when I'm there, each person gets the opportunity to talk to everybody in the family in front of everybody. I create safety and have enough tools that I can any moment interrupt and do what we call emotional processing. So it's almost like the family has their own tailored healing seminar going on, but with the goal that everybody processes something, talks to everybody. And through this, we create intimacy, emotional intimacy. I mean, there's grieving, there's also, there is yelling, but I will set guidelines for it and make it safe. I have prepared the parents that they would listen to the child, no matter what is being said, because the child, I take the side of the child always, because the child needs to be seen and heard the way they perceived life. I've had cases where the child said, we never did anything. When I was a child, it was so boring and so this and that. And then we look through the album and there are the photographs of vacations of whole family, big family, extended family coming over and so on. But that child was the wounded and sensitive child that was running upstairs and hiding in a room. So there are no memories there. I want to know, we all want to know how this person perceived life with the other person growing up and so on. And the parents are prepared for it that they can listen, absorb it, reflect back. And in most cases, of course, is also needed apologize. Because what we apologize for is, I'm so sorry that I couldn't see you. I'm sorry I couldn't help you. I'm sorry you didn't have any friends. And I didn't know how to help you get friends that I didn't even realize it or you couldn't talk about it. I'm sorry uh, a dinner table was unsafe for you. So these things, parents are prepared that they would, first of all, not listen with the head, but with the heart and find the right voice and the right words to apologize, make the child feel seen and heard and safe. And the goal, of course, is here we have it when you were saying touch, the bonding. The goal is that there's so much compassion, there's grieving, you know, the tears and the parent reaches out and hugs the child and the child can find the comfort on the chest of the parent being embraced and grief, letting go. When we experience this kind of intimacy in the whole family, suddenly all the secrets out, all the embarrassment and things like this out the door. My God, we saw each other just not dripping down the nose. (laughs) I mean, in red nose, red eyes. This is what could happen. Processing all kinds of very deep stories or secrets. People decide themselves what they allow and what they don't allow. So there's no... Even I say maybe like this, maybe some people experience it extreme talking about it, but I always let the client decide how far they want to go and what is the boundary for safety. When everything is over, everybody talks to everybody, as I said, then we say, okay, what did you learn from this? What are you seeing as an issue that is a barrier for you or something that you want to address deeper? What does the family need to shift? in tradition, in rules, in family culture, what needs to shift. So that all this will be addressed afterwards and what skills have to be learned. Because definitely, you know, no mother should say anymore what you said earlier, or no father, you know, why don't you, in an angry way, correcting the child somehow, but rather know how to do that. Because that was not clarified in those two days. And then we begin to have new behaviors new responses to each other. 
And if we can't do it, that means we have to do more personal work. The child also, especially if it's an adult child, gets the power that they don't need to take it. They can say, hey, mom, hey, dad, we have learned this so that could you please say it again? Everybody breathes and learns to say it in a new way. So we begin to relate to each other, to respond or to address each other in a new way. And that, of course, creates a new atmosphere, a total new family culture. We set new traditions and so on. So that's what's achieved through the freedom. It's a liberation. It's a breakthrough and a jump start to something new. Then the work begins. Yeah, it's not something, oh, after this weekend, we have no problems. We broke through darkness Mm -hmm. and helplessness, I would say, really through helplessness, because that's what everybody is. The children don't know how to say what's hurting. The parents don't know how to address the frozen or addicted child. When we break through this and declare a new system and rules and traditions and so on, then there's freedom. Then we can Mm -hmm. build. Then comes the rebuilding. And in most cases, each person in the family has to also do their own work. Either find a therapist, a coach, a support group, a program, read a book, whatever it takes. Some work together as a family, learning how to do family meetings, either at home or as it was when kids are at college and so on, that they meet on Zoom or on Skype in any way to and learn how to do this. How can we keep up our authenticity, our honesty, intimacy, and really belong? Wow. That whole thing sounds very healing, I, I guess, hence the name. Yes, and it can. The interesting thing is it can be done on so many different levels. Most of the time, I have to say I'm called when things are extreme, yeah. and it is extreme, or it can be a little surprising what happens. My hope is that we learn to be better parents and that we rise to a different level as society. And then family healing sessions would eventually be on a, with less conflict, or we don't have to dig as deep, we don't have to be so dramatic. And eventually, it's just a system, just like you bring your car to a tune-up, you're together for a family healing session or a family session that you can uh, facilitate yourself as a family. You know, we should learn, we can learn these skills mm-hmm. that we can facilitate this to do sharing in a correct way and to be close to each other. We don't need a therapist or a coach. We can do it on our own. So these are the different, definitely the possibilities of rising to a total different level in our relationships. Yeah, I can see why that's so effective to do. I really like the way you describe the family as a system and it, mm-hmm. it's a whole system that affects us. So more than me as an individual working with a professional, it is so much more accelerated having mm-hmm. a family willing to work on it together. Yeah, now that you're saying this, I just realized before Christmas, a psychiatrist found me because my the name for my business, oh, we haven't said it yet, <laughs> is Generational Healing. So you find me on generationalhealing.org. A psychiatrist found me and he was very interested in what I do. So we talked for a while and he said, you know, I have worked at wilderness institutes where really the wealthy people send their kids and they're there for a week, for a month, several months sometimes, pay a lot of money. But what's missing is your program because they come home to the family and it's the same thing as before, where they have gotten wounded or separated, where they were neglected, where they were alone. You know, all these things happened. 
and the child is just so afraid. I mean, yes, they do certainly interviews and healing, some healing and sessions with the families, no doubt about it, to work. But when he heard, and I described this even more, what I do, the emotional processing that happens during this time and so on, then he said, oh, wow, if this could become a norm, this could be implemented in those centers and also in your work. I know that you give very much support, but how wonderful would it be if many of the people who are calling in and getting your help, that they could go far beyond and heal the family of origin, where they are coming from. This is what the cause is. It's not ever their fault, how they live, what they do, what the addictions they have. So I just want to say this again. It is never the fault of the addicted person. It is the system that we experience. And so therefore, I'm saying I'm always on the side of that person, of the child, the children. But then when the parents do their own work, I'm on their side because they were wounded from the people before and they were wounded from the people before. So it is a generational issue that has to be addressed and resolved and the traumas released. This is how we really find liberation. This is how we can resolve the heaviness, the anger, and the addiction that we have now in this world, for sure. I got the point you made of that the, the session is really the beginning, and there's a lot more work to do thereafter. Mm -hmm. But I really just think it's incredible the transformation that you're able to cause within families. Of They don't get a different destination necessarily immediately, but definitely a complete shift in direction. And then they have a clear path that they can move towards the, the vision they have for their family. Yes. And I would say not only a different direction, it is a difference in vibration. Mm. The way, I mean, you wouldn't believe how everybody goes in, you know, most people are nervous. Oh God, she's mm. here. You know, what's going mm. on? What are we going to do? And really afraid. Then at the end, it's people are relaxed, pat each other on the shoulder, mm. make jokes and just so relieved. Oh, wow. What did we do? We processed through our life. I mean, I don't want to say whole life because it's not that much time for it, but through the most important things maybe. And at the time, the things that are right. And there's just so much relief over the whole thing that they do step into a different vibration. So you mentioned that the majority of the people that contact you, it's because of a teenager dealing with some with addiction often or some challenging yeah. behavior. And I imagine that as in with all things that prevention is always better than reacting. And so a lot of this work would reap a lot of benefits doing prior to some problem occurring, which you said, uh -huh. it, it appears like a sudden out of the blue thing, but is usually a buildup of something. So my question is, who are family, could family healing sessions be good for if you're not necessarily in this demographic of we clearly have a problem in our family, you know, our child is doing drugs or whatever the issue could mm -hmm. be. Um, mm -hmm. Other people, or maybe they don't have children. Yeah, like who can, like who should well, be doing something like this? Of course, you know, all the things that I shared today, I believe that every single person should go through a family healing session. We could lift so much heaviness and anger and pain immediately lift if we would do this in this world. So the family healing session is really for everybody who is taking responsibility to clean up the emotional junk we have. And it doesn't matter if the person is single, everybody has an original family of origin. Everybody mm -hmm. has that. And the sooner we start, when the children are small, then there's less heavy things to process. There's not hopefully not that much detachment. So we can begin on a different level. And that is something that I am also adding on 
to my work. In the last few years, I've trained some other people, coaches who, first of all, prepare through webinars, prepare families that come to me because it's impossible that you take as an individual, you take on so many families that you, after a family healing session, now suddenly if they had three kids, take on five people for therapy or for coaching. Mm -hmm. You don't. So I created a network. I recommend them, whoever fits with the best, the method, the personality and so on. I match people with others striving towards creating programs that would also fit for preparation for younger families. But I think I just thought of something else when you were saying, I know at the same time when something is with a child and you do family work, you get confronted with the marriage, that people need help in their marriage. And I've come to the conclusion now that everybody, you asked who should do a family healing session, everybody who wants to start dating Everybody who is in this process to start dating should actually, families with teenagers should have a family healing session, even if they don't realize there's something going on. They would save themselves so much stress, worry, disappointment, and maybe unwanted pregnancies or unwanted partners for love relationships with their kids that break their heart and so on. That is definitely would be a preparation. I was just talking to somebody and I said, wow. If I would all have all this money and the team around me, I would definitely, I'm such a visionary, you know, I have these ideas that, yes, we should have so much better, the singles.com and the singlethis.com and the singlethat.com, right? All these programs that are out there, they would need that. Mm -hmm. And the preparation, how to prepare better, how am I a better person to get Mm -hmm. to this place? So I always recommend David Steele, for example, Conscious Dating. Eva Hogan, The Intellectual Foreplay, 100 Questions to Ask for Lovers and Lovers to Be. Then, of course, Real Love and Dating. So those are my, and I have a few more. There's on my website, there's 20, 30 books recommended for the different Mm -hmm. things. Personal development for preparation for marriage, for young marriage, and also programs people can attend. For example, of course, I have clients who have affairs. There's the affair recovery and all kinds of programs. There's so much resource on my website. So please just go to generationalhealing.org and you will Mm -hmm. find a lot more. There's a lot more to say about all this. So I know we are short on time now, but I just want to say that I am interested and are just beginning to train professionals, if they are coaches, social workers, therapists, psychologists, whatever, to learn the protocol and this whole system of how to prepare family for family Mm -hmm. healing session. This is the next big project in my life. That is my legacy to leave behind. So I want to train professionals because we need so many more, of course, who would be able to do something like this, even if it's on different levels, softer level, stronger level, whatever. But that's what we need. My training, I started this spring again. I've done three years ago. I started really I am setting the bar a little higher (laughs) now Mm -hmm. and want professionals who have full practices, really know, have experience and know how to work with people and are just adding on my system, my method. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what I strive for to train. And I do it in three levels. And professionals can start out with something and become maybe just add on the program, how to prepare family for a family healing session, or they continue further, learn how to do emotional processing, and they can stop there. But then if they want to go on and do these family healing sessions, then they go into level three 
to learn this goal is that so many more professionals would be available and don't have to get on an airplane and fly because their mind is very unique and very few people are doing this around the world. Hopefully, we have some professionals available for families locally, make it more affordable. And also with checking in, you know, more personal, coming back mm. to next meetings and so on. Mm. That is really the goal of generational healing, to mm. broaden, to multiply ourselves and to make this a very known system that is mm. helping us to create better parenting and world peace. You gave so many people, everyone, so much to think about. And <laughs> so you've opened many people's minds to a whole new world of possibility for their relationships and their family. and. So if, if people want to know more or get in contact with you for any reason, have any interest in working with you, or I think most key is this last point you mentioned of you're shifting the next phase of your life to training new people. So generationalhealing.org, that's the best place for people to find you? Yes, that's the best place. Read through mm -hmm. it, see all the resources. And then there's, of course, click on contact us and an email mm -hmm. comes to me. I'll take care of mm -hmm. all the emails personally and respond to it. Mm -hmm. And as I'm saying, if I can't take somebody, I always take people and create a healing plan for them mm -hmm. as my first session and give them an overview on all this. And then I more or less send them to the webinars of my coaches, of my network. There's also mm -hmm. coaches mentioned on and therapists, other professionals on my website. I match them with others in order to start the personal deeper work. So there's definitely help for any and everybody mm. possible that we get matched with other professionals mm. and begin the journey. I, I love the ultimate vision for your work that you have is that starting with the family unit and healing the family will ultimately lead to world peace. That's really beautiful. <laughs> right. Thank you. Because so much is in, into politics and we think that they mm. will solve our problems. Really, when we become different people, and with that, I mean, we don't change. We just bring the light that we have inside of us, that we uncover the light inside of us and really bring forward our divinity. That is when the world will move into a different vibration and we will live better, happier, and with all the new understanding and new skills and the releasing of the old traumas, we will step into a new existence. So Hilda, is there anything else that you'd like to plug or let people know about something that people can get excited for or look forward to in the future? Well, there's not enough time to say that. I just want to mention, go on my website to the page mm -hmm. that's Hilltop Village, mm -hmm. because I believe that we need to create villages. A village raises a child, right? I believe that we are all lonely. America is the worst in statistics of medication, of addictions, mm -hmm. of suicide. And no, maybe not suicide. Japan is ahead, I think. And, you know, things like that. But in order to transform, it is really about outreach, I do want to recommend a book by Jillian Richardson. And the book is called Unlonely Planet. I just recently read this. It is perfect. I mean, she just came out with this book by accident. I found her as I opened my email and so many suggestions. I mean, she changed the culture in New York because that's where she landed and was lonely. 
but so many other ideas of how we can create communities online and eventually when COVID is over offline. Mm -hmm. So I started something that's online, but I connected to my community I'm living around that is around me, creating through art and other things, the community coming together. And I weave in my knowledge and experience in parenting And at this moment, people from anywhere in the world could, of course, come online and participate in this and learn how they can create their communities around them. Villages making small communities, I so strongly believe, will be the support so we don't have this feeling of who am I? Where do I belong to? I'm so alone in this big world with this many people and I'm lonely. This is where we eventually, through the communities, can get what we need the time, touch, talk, and the belonging, all our love needs met in a healthy way instead of unhealthy. Very exciting, yeah. Yeah, look up Hilltop Village. I'm so excited myself about it. Everything you've shared with us, as soon as possible in the post-COVID world, we really have to go back to an offline world <laughs> of face-to-face connection and, and physical touch. Right. Yeah, we, we can't keep doing this online, isolated way of living. Right. Temporary, yeah. Okay, so we'll point, and you shared a lot of fantastic books and think writers and resources so we'll make yeah. sure to link all of these so people can check them out it'll be easier for them to have that list and so the best place to learn about all these things is generationalhealing.org and That's cool. what i gather is that you've you've shared about all of these things mm-hmm. right and there's more on the website so mm-hmm. just go there and if you have any more questions or anything and just write me an email and connect. I'm so grateful for having this opportunity to that you ask me questions that I can reach out, that so many listeners uh, can gain something from this. I mean, I'm just so thrilled and happy. Thank you. Likewise, thank you so much for just sharing mm-hmm. all of your, not just your wisdom, but really your heart. It's mm-hmm. the culmination of your life's jungsung, we can call it, right? Your investment <laughs> and your love and yes. your passion. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So everybody listening in, hope you had a good time with us and we'll see you next time. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people. Okay, if you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there.